Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all, not taking into account each person's individual needs. Noom is built for your psychology and your biology, meeting you where you are. Noom Weight uses psychology. That's why they say losing weight starts with your brain. But it also takes into account your unique biological factors, which also affect weight loss success. The program helps you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have cravings. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Plus, check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available for pre-order wherever books are sold. Hey guys, welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 276. Alright guys, it's comedy crunch time. My stand-up comedy special, Mandroid, airs November 10th, Saturday night, November 10th at 11pm, 10 in the central time zone, because you have to be different. And uh, I really would love for you to watch it when it airs. Because in the old days in television, you had to watch stuff when it came on the television or you never saw it again. Scores of television lost forever because people just never watched it again. We've forgotten all the stuff we've forgotten. So, uh, yes, please, uh, watch the comedy special. I don't think it sucks. I'm actually really excited about it. I would love for you to see it. And then tweet at me. If you don't like it, I'm sure you'll tell me. But if you like it, I'm fine with those tweets, too. I'm fine with all of that. This episode of the Nerds Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Guys, it's the future. You can buy and print official U.S. posters from your own computer and printer whenever you need it. Can you imagine what your great-great-grandfather would say? He'd be like, what's a computer? But that won't change the fact that you can print it out. There, it is way cheaper than a postal meter. Uh, you get more features than the meter for a fraction of the pr- for the price. It's uh, special discounts on mailing and shipping that you can't even get at the post office on things like Priority Mail and Express Mail. Uh, Stamps.com customers have printed over $3 billion in postage. Billion! With a B! So use Stamps.com. You get a special promo code, which is Nerdist, for an offer of a no-risk trial, $110 worth of bonus stuff, including a digital scale and up to $55 of free postage. So go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the page and type in NERDIST. Stamps.com, enter the promo code NERDIST. This episode of the podcast is Anthony Edwards, who is so friggin' nice. Ah, it just, it makes me happy. I can't tell you what the movie Revenge of the Nerds for me did when I was a kid. I think I've probably talked about this before, but we didn't have names for what we were, me and my friends, when I was growing up. Uh... And then I saw Revenge of the Nerds, and I was like, those are, that's what I am, a tri-lamb. But the nerd word, I wasn't really in use uh, in my school until Revenge of the Nerds, and then I finally felt like I had a tribe that I could identify with. Because there were only, like, maybe three of us or four of us. Uh, Well, maybe that's an exaggeration. I guess if you counted all of the grades, they were, like, maybe 10 or 11. Um, which we saw each other in chess club and computer lab. So it was it, Revenge of the Nerds was a strangely um, uh, influential film for me, and uh, and and made me happy. And I've seen it hundreds of times. I'm I'm talking a lot about Revenge of the Nerds. I know Anthony Edwards has done more stuff than that, but I'm very excited about that one. But Top Gun, come on, gotcha. Come on, ER. This new show is called Zero Hour. It's a mid-season replacement on ABC coming uh, early next year. And just a wonderful guy, ladies and gentlemen, Gilbert Lowe. I'm sorry, I'm doing it again. It's Anthony Edwards. The Trilam. President of the Adams College. Trilams. Anthony Edwards. Anthony, Revenge of the Nerds. Damn it! Now entering Nerdist.com.
Okay. Blah. Blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. I'm setting the levels. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk, talk. Talking about it, just so there's not weird moments talk. of silence where we're staring at each other awkwardly. Wondering. Perfect. Uh, great. Now we're recording. Anthony Edwards, thank you for having me in your apartment. I'm sitting across <laughs> from your desk for me, so I sort of feel like I'm being interviewed. You are. What are your... Are, am, I, am I... But I'm technically interviewing you. So why do you think you should have this job? <laughs> what qualities make you feel like you're... Qualified? I feel like I've pretended long enough. It's time for you to take over. I'm passing the mantle of pretending. What? Over. Okay. From I'll... the oldest nerd to the youngest. <laughs> well, okay, let's just dive right in and talk about that, because... A lot of people say that I get asked constantly in interviews, like, what's the difference between a geek and a nerd? And I go, well, look, people, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a semantic. I, I don't know. I, I think ultimately we're saying the same thing. Some people would, if you want to get granular, say, well, nerds are more, you know, tech and geeks are more this. And, you know, everyone has their own definition. And I say, look, we didn't use the word geek when I was growing up. It was regional. <laughs> And the nerd nerd was really a word that I didn't start using until Revenge of the Nerds, where I saw it and went, oh, oh, that's it. That's what I am. (laughs) So it was because of your movie that I, I mean, I had just been into video games and I was chess club and computers and I just didn't know what that, I just, you don't ask what that's called when you're a kid. You just like what you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like, what year was that? It was like 82 maybe? Yeah, or something, yeah. 82, 83 maybe? Somewhere right in there. And it was like... I mean, it was funny. It also had, you know, very little... It had a little bit to do with techno, but it had more had to do with just, like, being out of it, you know? Yeah. Being not the jock. Yeah. Where that was such the... You know, everything was about sports and, and, and you know, nerds were anybody who didn't fit in. Yeah, and but I just don't think it, it, really, it really took the... Because I always, I, I always kind of wonder, like, well, what were nerds in the 1800s? <laughs> were they cartographers? <laughs> like, I don't know. What they, what they, I mean, they, maybe they were accountants. I don't. I mean, they still had to count money at some point. I, I don't know what they did. I, mean, I guess they were scientists and budding astrophysicists. But it wasn't really until the you know the computer revolution, the home computer revolution, started to take off in the 70s, where you had a whole generation of people that. Finally, maybe nerds were just waiting for their thing right, 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 in history. Right, right. And, well, anytime like a group gets ostracized anyway, and then turns you know the negative into a positive, and yeah. turns it into a badge of courage. Yeah, you know? that that was the whole joke and fun of it. I mean, that was you know to have like the, what was it called the ba- the black fraternity that the showing up the triumph showing up and making this whole black power reference. To, yeah, you know alignment. So which was a. Uh, such a great that, that that moment in the movie, like any kid is like, oh my god, yeah. Because I think so much of our culture leading up to that point, particularly in film, was a sort of like, um, I don't know. I guess it was like post-war era, like yeah, America, like like people win who are strong and are like they, you know, they're it's all physical. And then to have a movie suggest that, oh yeah, actually the smart people. Are the actually can use their brains rather than beating the shit out of something until it submits. You know, like that. That was such an important idea for for us. I think, and especially probably at the age you were. Yeah, I mean, you were what twelve, twelve years old. Yeah. So I mean, there you are, like trying to figure out who you are <laughs> and what you are. And, you know, um, yeah. I mean, I, it's a fun. It's a, you know, it was just in a time when they were just making ridiculous movies, mm-hmm. you know. And that was one in which the director, Jeff Kinnear, was like, yeah, but this is a ridiculous movie with a heart. And, <laughs> you know, he was right. I mean, it really was. So. Was there, was, was there, uh, was it a pretty strict script? Was there improvising? Did you guys... What? It was pre- it was, it was pretty much there. But, you know, we were all just actors looking for a job. And yeah. so, you know, uh, we, everybody just dove in and, and, you know, to this day, I'll run into Tim Busfield and, you know, there's friends that came out of that that, are, yeah. that really you know it was our kind of first jobs for a lot of us and, and it was a, it was fun but you were in Fast Times too yeah so that was that was another defining film of the yeah I've been lucky to be around some movies that were 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 like that um, yeah Fast Times what's the, I mean I was what, 18 Eric Stoltz and I we grew up together in Santa Barbara oh yeah yeah and uh, I, my, my family all like, my brothers all surfed in that whole world and and uh, but um, 
Yeah, we were all like, uh, I think I was like six months into college or something, and that and that job came up, and um, you know, Sean Penn was insanely brilliant, of course, you know, and and let's never forget that he he was like introduced us to who he based the character on, and he was nothing at all like Spicoli, <laughs> and you're like, wow, and you're like realizing, right, like you know. Actors, it's not about you know imitating something as much as finding that that thing that makes it real because that's a really unbelievable character he yeah. came up with. I mean, Sean Penn, like you know, was so not that guy, and uh, was so brilliant. So, but he was that that sort of like uh, that kind of burner who then I mean, like he really that character is pretty timeless. Yeah, and it was almost like our culture didn't know we needed that character until he did it. And people are still doing that character 30 years later. And it just seems like, it's yeah. how do you keep doing that? Well, it's so funny. I'm actually so, I'm doing this new show now. And the camera, the DP is this guy, John Leonetti. And John Leonetti was the focus puller on Fast Times Original. Holy Eyes. shit. So we haven't seen each other in 30 years. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and John Leonetti is literally, that, I mean, he's a lovely guy. But I'm sitting, he's like, Namaste, brother. And he's like, I mean, he's this classic California character. Yeah. And it's it's it totally brought me back to Fast Times in that world. Because here he is, this like, you know, full-on California character. These yeah. guys, I mean, that's why I grew, I grew up in Santa Barbara. And it was like... You know, those guys, it was like, as long as they could have a job cleaning pools and able to surf, then life was set. That's yeah. As, you know, that's as much as they wanted out of it. What else do you need? Yeah. What else? This is just sort of a, a, a classic parable about the guy who goes to the Mexican fishing village and they, they're catching fish and he meets these old villagers and he's like, oh, if you had more people come in, you could catch more fish. And the guy's like, and then what? And then you could build a factory and you could employ a lot of people <laughs> and then you could do... And then, and then, and then he, he basically keeps saying, and then what, and then what, and then what. He's like, and then you'd have free time to fish. And he's like, right. yeah, but I do that now. Exactly. So why do I have to do all that yeah, stuff yeah, to get yeah, what yeah, I already yeah, have? Yeah. Yeah, it's that funny thing. I mean, I it was part of, I mean, Santa Barbara is a beautiful, great place, but it's also a place that, like, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to really push yourself. Because you, you really can't set up. I mean, I remember being people in like in a hot tub by the beach or something like that. This is the center of the universe yeah. because there's no more beautiful place, and there's no more, you know. And you kind of get lulled into, you know, it's just a real. Yeah, it's not like if you're in Santa. A lot of times, people wherever they are, they sort of dream about the other side of the fence. But if you're in Santa Barbara, it's not like you're going. I wonder what it's like to live yeah. in a cramped yeah, apartment yeah, 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 yeah. in a noisy city. That's what I said. I was like, no. I mean, Santa Barbara as a kid, you know, sometimes the fog would roll in. And yeah. Get, you know. Seriously. It'd be rough like that. Work shuts down. Yeah, exactly. But Santa Barbara is an interesting... There's sort of this interesting uh, uh, dichotomy between, like, this really pleasant beach culture and then... And then there's there's kind of a douchebag contingency too, a little like drunk, you know, like that bo- that. Um, well, it was the one place on the one. I guess because of, the, where, because of the schools. And then the one hundred one also, there was the one place where there were stoplights. So it was like when I grew up there in the sixties, seventies, that for everybody hitchhiking, that was people would get dropped <laughs> and let off. So it was a huge homeless community that started oh, in wow. Santa Barbara. So there's that's always been there. It's been like yeah. a, you know, it's in a resort town. So right. It's got a you know it always has had a population like that that. That has just hung out, and at UCSB. I mean, it's got the. University. It's the, there. Is, there is kind of a bro culture there of like yeah. party bros yeah. and yeah. you know like sorority girls and stuff. It's you know that's sort of around. But there's so many great like um, the montage is really nice and the like all the little resorts around there. Yeah, no, it's a beautiful. I mean, my folks still live there, and you know they. My dad was born there, Montecito. And, yeah, Montecito. And, and he was an architect, and you know built all kinds of beautiful things. And I mean, it was a really good place to grow up. I mean, they had tons of theater we had like you know two different youth theater groups going on and i was like this scrawny little kid so as much as i wanted to play sports i couldn't really because <laughs> they laugh at me and so i found like theater and i danced and I, and and but there was enough of it going on that you know by the time i got out of high school i'd done 25 shows so wow. like we had just it was just normal for us to have all that so I mean it was a great community that way yeah for access to the arts as they say so what happened right after uh, Revenge of the Nerds which I'm still going to keep saying is one yep. of my favorite movies of all time what what uh, is you know coming off of that because that that movie did, I guess maybe they didn't ex- it was fucking huge I remember how huge that movie was right 
And I, you know, there had been since Animal House, like a teen, a string of teen comedies, or mm-hmm. you know, Fast Times, and you into that. And uh, you know, there were a lot of other. I mean, I have vague memories of you know a lot of misfit teen comedy, but that one just like hit the sweet spot. So it was a huge movie. So did would, afterwards was it sort of like oh now I can be in well yes and not really I mean I was also you know I've never been like a real leading man kind of actor that oh Revenge of the Nerds <laughs> <laughs> because there was always and they're friends and they're great I mean there's always the Rob Lowe's and the you know those are the guys I was with when I was there. so I the was Alpha always Beta getting, House. I was getting you know kind of what everybody else didn't get. Is what my career kind of has always been in a great way. I'm very lucky, you know. Not, but uh, uh, it, it did. I mean, that it led to Gotcha, which was the same director, Jeff Canoe. So we had this great. Oh, Jeff! Did, I didn't know he directed yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Had the biggest so, crush on Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Who didn't? And so that led to Gotcha, and Gotcha is really what led to. That's what Tony Scott saw and said, "Oh, well, that's the guy you want to have as your best friend to die." <laughs> so you know, it was that because the studio really wanted a comedian. They yeah. wanted Goose to be a comedian. In yeah, Japan. and I was, and to the point where when I my first day of shooting. I got a, a basket, a fruit basket, from the head of the studio. Both of them, Ned Tan and Don Steele. And, and the little card along with it said, Goose may not always be wise, but he's always, underlined three times, funny. And I'm like, oh, um, wait, I got to go look at the script again. Because yeah, the script remember I had, had to send you a fucking gift with a note on it, like giving you notes about your yeah, character. Before we start the movie. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, oh, no. Like, okay, I knew, like, he want, But that was the So every day was about trying to, you know, bring funny into it. And I'm not a comedian and I'm not a writer. But, I mean, I know, I mean, I like to laugh. And yeah. So, uh, but then, I mean... Uh, got into that, but it's just like how things lead to the next. It's 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 strange. Goose you know? got Meg Ryan though, right? So he was so yeah. like funny does get get the, get the ladies right, and it and it does go full circle because my son did wake me up the other night to tell me that I was referenced in New Girl because Schmidt <laughs> said, "Oh yeah, oh you're watching Top Gun." Oh, it's it's Anthony Ed. He called me <laughs> Anthony Ed. He's, he says nobody dies like him. He's like the bald Hillary Swank. <laughs> as a fifty-year-old father of five, who's made a lot of, you know, luckily made some good movies and a lot of bad ones. It's like that was a very proud moment that your son is the actually Paul Miller is swank. exactly, which is like because it's like you know I am the one you want to kill. You know, <laughs> I like him enough to kill him. I, I well, I was you know uh, I, I was also like Top Gun was a good sweet spot for me too because I was teenage you know I was like I'm early teenager at that point, and of course you know everyone identified with Maverick, but I identified with Goose because I I felt like I was. That I never th- saw myself as like I'm the guy who's gonna, <laughs> exactly. like, I'm gonna pilot this bird into the sunset. You know, I'm the guy who's like, hey, tits. You know, yeah, like exactly. I, I was that guy. I know how to operate the radios. <laughs> yeah, wee, <laughs> stop it. So they call it a guy in the back. They call him Gibbs. It's like because there's nothing to fly the plane in the back of it. It's just radar and all that stuff. So it was really meant for guys like us who could just be like hang out with a good-looking one. But there was not a dry eye. In the house. That's right. When Goose hit that ejection thing. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. oh, it was all over. That's why I got my pilot's license last year, finally. Oh, after holy all, shit. I love flying. I've always loved it and everything. So finally, Even after that experience? I know. So finally, and, that's what, and when you get your, when you do your first solo flight, they do this tradition where you cut off the back of your shirt to, so that uh, it's called, because they used to in the old days, that's how they trained you. They'd be behind you and they'd pull on your shirt. Oh, right? okay. So that was so the tradition is a cup because you don't need them back there anymore. Okay, to tell okay. You where to fly, and then you can write something to your instructor because you get to you know you fly solo. And so that's what I, th- I think I wrote something to the effect of um, Goose lives. Um, uh, I finally kicked the good-looking guy out of the plane. <laughs> it's like, you know, if only he wasn't flying, I would have lasted a long time. Dude, there was so much, like, when you look at, like, when we look at the volleyball sequence, you're like, there's so much male actor testosterone yeah, in that scene between Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. Yeah. And just like, and, and as my kids also point out, 
Who's the only one with a shirt on? <laughs> Our dad. <laughs> I would have been that guy. Yeah. Was it was it Rick Rossovich? Was yeah, that, Rick, yeah Rossovich. Rick Rossovich was like just all these fucking yeah. Yeah. shirtless dudes. Yeah, it was all greased up. Not all of them have held up, by the way. Tom Cruise <laughs> is fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not yeah, yeah. everybody else would still want to play shirtless volleyball. Yeah. You, you look like you're in pretty decent shape. I think now is now is Goose's time. Exactly. I had the age. I'm like a I'm like an old red wine. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Oh God, that was a ridiculous time. That that movie and those that hall, because everybody knew what we were doing. So it was like you know, it was really a silly story. <laughs> you know, it was really pretty silly. And uh, yeah, it was a summer in San Diego that was was a little little twisted. There was a very there was a tremendous amount of tequila drunk. <laughs> there was a, but that's fun. That's a whole different kind of. I mean, like you know, your background's theater. You you know, you're you you're taking a lot of acting movie roles, and like you like you just said, like everyone knew what this was. But it's still you still kind of got to like it though, because it's sort of it does feed a little bit of that. Oh, I think this is going to be like a big movie. Oh yeah, I know, and had that too. I mean, it was. I mean, the joke was that like we couldn't shoot the planes because Tony Scott had to have like. Lever, you know, everything had to have like uh, blinds with smoky light coming through, right? <laughs> so like, the, and and you know, fans to blow it all and make it look yeah. good. It was like, well, we can't, you know, land a plane without smoke and fans and lights. Um, you know, everything had to be backlit, and it was just, it was all about. I mean, on Tony Scott's birthday, while we were making the movie, the producers gave him. A dildo with wings on it, <laughs> and it was that was his present. I mean, it was like no one was no one was pretending that they were making an art film. Rockstar and Simpson knew what they wanted. How did he take that? He loved it. it was like that's it because that's the way he would you know Tony he was like yeah it's it's fucking rock and roll it's rock and roll. More patches. Put more patches. <laughs> what do they mean? Well, I don't give a shit. I don't care. Put more patches on it and have it loose. And it's like, but you know, when you're flying, you have to be all tight. No, I don't care. You know, you want well, it all. yeah, really. And that was what made it all great. He was fired three times during that movie. Really? Yeah, he would be fired because the studio was that was wanted me to be a comedian. Also <laughs> wanted the movie to be really, you know, straightforward. And he wanted all the stuff that made it look great. All that slow motion. All that backlit, smoky stuff that made it so cool. Well, yeah, he was basically. Capitalizing at this at the zenith of MTV culture, right? Exactly. So it was and basically like a like a gorgeous right. music video. And they hired the guy who did the Hunger. I mean, if you ever saw the Hunger, <laughs> I mean, that is like the sexiest. You know, it's Susan Sarandon and yep. nothing but like dappled light through you know smoky sex filled rooms. So um, it was you know. And then when we saw it, when we finally saw it, we were like, oh yeah, this. I mean, it was. And you put in all that music and that ridiculousness and. You know, it is that thing where I do show because I'm, you know, of course, you know, Mr. Mellow Pacifist, who then has to spend the next 30 years having people going, my child joined the Navy because of you. <laughs> and you're like, I, I'm sorry, and I'm glad, and I hope they're <laughs> flying planes and not scraping paint off of the, the wall. Of the, <laughs> Which is what you would end up doing. Yeah, I mean, when we were on the aircraft carrier, literally, they're like, oh, you're making a movie? It's no fucking adventure. Right? Yeah. And they're like, got a spoon, and they're literally scraping paint. Like, that's what they're doing <laughs> on it. You know, the life expectancy of an aircraft carrier in a conventional war is four hours. Oh, wow. So we have like this, like this whole antiquated... You know, military system. I mean, it's like, it's what the debate is now, right? It's what yeah. they were talking about last night. They're yeah. Like, you know, do we really need <laughs> another aircraft carrier? I don't <laughs> How many? So. Yeah. Um, but was was there any, was there, was everyone cool? Was there hanging out on the set? No, everyone yeah, everybody, everybody, everybody got along really well. And it, like, it was, it was literally, you know, just destroying kind of one hotel room after another of where the party was or what was happening. And, you know, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was, I mean, the, the greatest character on that is this, this actor, um, um, Barry Tubb. Mm -hmm. And, you know, who was the Texan with the cowboy hat. And, you know, he was proud because he said, I'm Barry Tubb, Dub Tubb's son. And he was like, he was like, I don't care. I'm going to eject. I'm going to eject when we go up. 
and you know, I, you guys are all a bunch of pussies. I'm gonna eject. <laughs> like, you know, then we see the dailies of his footage while we're, you know, we had like they shot us in the plane while we were flying, and he's just there like getting greener and greener and greener. Completely lost. See, they should put that on the DVD extras. They've got to put exactly. the, the throwing up on the yeah. DVD extras. It's all that total false bravado. I mean, but that's like this day you would never go up in an airplane now. Like then, like you literally had to film. You know, with all the, there's not full CGI. Sure. So, you know, they were like, it was worth it to them to put us through like, you know, training to get backseat qualified so they could get like seven minutes of film of us in the backseat of an airplane. Oh, wow. So that was cool. Actors I mean, have that, it so much easier now. Yeah, yeah now you <laughs> not like the old days where they used to have to get over the thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to do for the Saturday Night Live sketch would be the veterans of foreign war films. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, had to go going like, we had to start a war exactly. with a group of actors from another country. Exactly. <laughs> Just there was a day our per diem was late. It was awful. <laughs> uh, you know, there a movie that I loved when I was uh, when I was younger was uh, Mr. North. I loved that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Really fun movie. That was a totally melancholy summer in that it was John Huston's like it was his kind of favorite book and the book Theophilus North was was published after Thornton Wilder died mm-hmm. so uh, it wasn't totally edited so I had problems there but it was you know John Huston had done these movies for his children he did The Dead for his son Tony Huston and he did uh, I forget the other one for um, Princess Honor or something I think for Angelica and then he'd done um it was this was for his son Danny to direct, who's now a great actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't know Danny Houston. Oh, he, he didn't direct, direct that. He directed he Mr. Did. North. Oh, yeah. wow. He was he was going to be a director, and then you know didn't realize what a great actor he was, so he ended up becoming a great actor. But he so this was for Danny, and and uh, he John passed away while we were making the movie, so we're shooting in Newport, Rhode Island. But he was so he was such a great character. I really I, my favorite picture I have is is. Uh, I'm sitting on a deck in Rhode Island just going over the script with him. And it was the same day that um, um, Lauren Bacall came over for dinner. And oh, wow. I sat at this dinner while Lauren Bacall and John Houston are like, oh, remember the day that Bogey did this on the set of African <laughs> Queen? And you're just like, my jaw is just like, ah, I can't believe I'm hearing Jeez, this Jeez, name droppers. I know. I'm kidding. Exactly. Oh, you had to sleep with him? Oh, jeez. <laughs> but um, it was, and he... Before the night that he died, he he knew he was going to die. I mean, he was that kind of a guy because he had this his the person who took care of him, who was also I believe his his girl his uh, partner. Uh, she he told her when I die tonight, don't let them know until seven o'clock, so they have a good night's sleep because they're going to have to shoot that day. Oh like, my god, he was you know uh, an amazing. You know, and he also had to, the big lesson to me on that one was that he had to struggle to make that movie. Like, here's John Huston wants to make a movie, and he was doing the same thing that everybody's doing, like begging to get the six million dollars so that he can go make. Like, you'd think after all the movies that man's made, they're like, "Here, Mr. Huston, would you like another million dollars to make oh your movie?" God. But every movie he made was something that was important to him, and when it's important to you, it's not commercial. It's just kind of inherent of course, to that. Yeah. Until then, so then it hits, and people go, "Oh." We knew that it was going to be great. Yeah. So, you know, he, uh, to his last movie, to his last dying day, was proving once again that it's supposed to be hard. It's not supposed to be given <laughs> to you. And, you know, if it's worth it, you fight for it, and, you know, and you get it done. I mean, it's like what you read about Ben Affleck now with his movie Argo, which yeah. I saw the other night, which is great. And it's like he fought hard and hard and hard and, you know, just didn't compromise. Well, I guess, yeah, because if it were easy, then... I mean, I, I mean, obviously anyone can make stuff now, but it's still really hard to make a feature film and have it get released. Right. And if it's good, on top of that, well, that's a bonus. Like, it's just, like, it's so hard. That whole process is so insane and it takes years. Like, I don't know how many... And, with, and whether someone's going to give you a million dollars or $40 million, they're not going to do it easily. You know, right. they're never going to give it. And that's where, you know, these... Making these 80, 90, 150 million dollar movies, they're like, yeah, it better be based on a book and a comic series and a whole thing, you know, because for their, you know, business wise, it doesn't make sense. Right. You just can't, you know, justify, oh, yeah, you know, look at, look at the odds. It's fantastic how much money people get back from their film investments. Yeah, know? it's pretty crazy. I mean, like, even, yeah. some of the, even some of the movies that you think of as like, the highest grossing films they go well they still haven't made their money back like how is that possible no I mean that's I mean Revenge of the Nerds I've never I've, we all had 
points, you know, they're net points, but I've never gotten a dime from that movie. God. You know, all that years. It's, it all just goes back in. And... The same, yeah, it's the same, uh, Tom Wilson had the same thing with Back to the Future. Right. Where it's like, really, is it? This movie made <laughs> hundreds of millions of, like, oh, we're still on the red. Yeah, exactly. How? Yeah, well, How well, are you still in advertising in, in, in Korea oh, on God, the so 18th DVD release and sucking up all the money. Points. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. even mean anything. I guess it means something. But the truth is, they. Do, I mean, they, you know, they... It's. I mean, the other funny thing about the movie business that way is that financially is I got involved in motor racing just as a fan and then did some charity work with it. And when you're around that world and you're around the businesses of America that have nothing to do with the movie business, is you're like, oh, right, this is like tractors. The tractor business, which is probably 10 times the size of Hollywood. Of course. You know, and they make tractors. But when you call the head of John Deere, he returns your call. Like it's a whole other, like the whole, everything's out of line. Yeah. You know, it's like this, it's like my dogs. It's like they think they're big, you know. It's like these, these tiny chihuahuas. These big, and they're, they're, it's laughable. Oh, uh, Anthony's dogs are the tiniest, most adorable dogs <laughs> yeah, ever. Yeah. A black one and a white one. Little chihuahuas. They, when I came into your house, you were like, oh, okay, be, be careful the dogs. I'm like, oh boy, and I turn the corner, just like, yip, 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 yip. Exactly. Um, so you, so you're into, do you say you're into motor car racing? I am, I'm a fan. I'm a huge, like, I'm a fan of it. I'm, it's just, you know, my one little. Like NASCAR? Actually, Formula One. Formula One. And Yeah, Formula Cars. Explain and... it to me. Explain to me, because I, 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 you know, I've been kind of snotty about it from, like, what is it? It goes from there to there. What do you need? What, what is it? What do you see in it? Uh, I guess it's as silly as the fact that I got to drive in like the celebrity race in Long Beach years okay. ago. And when you get into a car and you learn how to drive it fast and you realize that it's about putting together 10 corners really well and you have to do it precisely and what the concentration's involved, then you realize the talent of it that required to make a car okay. go that fast. So it just becomes that. It was just that. And then, uh, you know, I've always liked cars. I've liked, you know, um, uh, and... It's just kind of my one—it's uh, it's my one little dad private time. Oh, the that's kids nice. all hate it, so I get to do it by myself. <laughs> but someday they'll come around. Right. Like you know, like I hated country music when I was growing up because I grew up in the south and my dad used to listen to it all the time. Right. When I got older, like, yeah. you know, yeah. I kind of like it a little bit. Yeah, it's funny, but it's—it's it's also it has to do with. I mean, now the charity work I'm doing now has to do with Africa mm-hmm. because I don't know if you heard but oh we, you're building a hospital yeah well we took a year off as a family and not a I mean we just did a like a dream come true trip which is we took, took the kids out of school and we went around the world for a year holy shit and we traveled for yeah 310 days with two teachers and went around the world and we ended up spending a lot of time in Africa and hadn't been there before and like people who go to Africa, they come back going, "It's where we're from. It's the it's the holy land." I mean, because it, it and it feels that way. I mean, you get into the Serengeti, or you get into places where, you know, uh, or the coast of Africa, where for forty million years turtles have been coming and laying eggs. Like there's a, it's a very central place to where humanity comes from. I know, but in Los Angeles, some buildings date back to 1923. Like, exactly. That's what I grew up. So with. it's probably the same. It's pretty yeah. similar, right? Yeah, pretty is. similar to that. It's pretty similar. <laughs> um, and uh, and there's an incredible spirit. I mean, Kenya is a country, and um, uh, the people. And there's the thing as far as you know, is actually always like doing charity. And how do you make things? How do you make a difference? And what do you do? And the the kind of thing that really seduced me into Africa too is how little goes so far. You know, I mean, we're building the first public children's hospital for East Africa, and we raised $2 million to do that. I mean, if we were to do something on the same scale here, it would be $120 million to build this hospital. And this hospital, not only can we do it, it but they don't have any pediatric teaching facility in East Africa. None. I mean, it's like here we are in New York City where, like, you can't throw a rock without hitting a hospital or a doctor's office or something, you know. Right. And that kind of... Uh, you know, uh, need there uh, is exciting when you can help, you know, feed it. So that's what's, it's just been really inspiring for me. And it's, I'm a big runner. Actually, that's kind of what I do uh, is I run um, and, uh, and it's through the sport of running that we're doing this because the man who started this was a uh, ex-professional runner who uh, started bringing shoes down to 
you know, his teammates and people he ran with in Africa where he trained, in Kenya in particular. And um, so the organization is called Shoe for Africa. And what we do is we do women's empowerment races where we get 2,000 women together, mm-hmm. give them a pair of shoes and a T-shirt, and then at that event have AIDS education and, and health initiatives at the event, or do it with a school, and we're building, you know, we're building schools there for $60,000. Oh, my God. So you're taking a public school... And you're, which is falling apart because they have to have these schools and they have to provide the teachers. But the quality of the building is so poor. And so to do that basic infrastructure actually completely transforms education for that community because the schools become a place that the kids and the teachers want to go to. Sure. And that's simply by having doors and windows and a roof, which are things, more things that like we can't even perceive, you know. And I started this with the story of going around the world because. What inspired this is if you go away from this country for like what we did, uh, 300 days, or if you, you probably only take you about two or three weeks, if you really pay attention, you come back, you realize like we have so much excess. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's insane the amount of excess. The fact that our roads are paved so well, most of the world doesn't have roads. Um, uh, healthcare, education, all this stuff that we whine and moan about as thinking, uh, you know, it, it's. Uh, we, we have so much extra. I mean, we're killing ourselves with food, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like we spend more in this country combating uh, obesity. If we took that money that we combat obesity with, we could feed Africa. God. It's more cheesecake factory culture. Yeah. But what's so interesting is like the whole like 99, 1% thing in America. You go, yeah, but America is like the 1% <laughs> of the planet. <laughs> yeah. yeah As a whole, we have so much. We consume way too much. And yeah. We, you know, so um, that's what it's, you know. How is Africa? I mean, Africa's, you know, I've, I've traveled, I've traveled the United States like a hundred times over. I've been pretty much everywhere a lot. Right. Um, global traveling, I've been to Costa Rica, I've been to Australia, I've been to, you know, Switzerland, Italy, England, you know, not, not any, but really want to go to Asia, really, you know, and thought about Africa and, but it's just like how, how well educated about the regions do you need to be to go into and what, what, yeah. what's safe, what's not safe? Like, what do you, it's, 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 you don't, it's really worth going. I mean, literally, uh, you know, if you start in any capital city in Africa, you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, you know, and it's it's closer than you think. I mean, it's seven hours to London from here, and then it's eight hours directly south to Nairobi, mm-hmm. and you're you know you're in Nairobi. Uh, uh, for I mean, Africa's huge, and um, <clears throat> with very little research and very little exploration, you would find safe places to go. And I don't mean, I mean, I don't, I don't, I, you know, I hate to sound like a dumb American when I say that, but I just mean in terms of like, I, I know that there are, you know, I know that there are uprisings and rebellions in certain parts of the, the country. And so you just want to make sure like, and, and I think yeah, I, I'm a little of a, a little like a, just where kind of America's at in the world stage right now. I feel like there are places like it's maybe not the best to go as an American. Yeah, but the, uh, the most of the conflict that I've ever been around or or seen in Africa is not like classic white on black conflict that you'd think of like oh you're 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 not from this continent we right. need to kill you. It's most it's tribal. It's it's uh, you know it's just basic conflicts that happen between countries that uh, you know happen everywhere that are, are very specific to that region. And I, you know I I think. It would be very difficult to stumble in to something that was bad. Um, it's like, you know, yes, there's malaria in Africa, but you don't have to take malaria pills everywhere you go in Africa because <laughs> it, there are specific places where it exists and you can take the pills when you're in that area. I mean, it's, you just, know? it's just the same kind of dumb thing that, you know, I, and I admittedly have that. And it's not just Africa specific. It's everywhere. It's like, oh, well, if I go... You know, if I go to Korea, which part of Korea would right. I want to make sure to go into? If I, you know, when we went to, Coast but that's why you have to travel because you've got to take that general yeah. stereotype and get it because people define specific. You know, like people from the Midwest go, "Well, how do you live in L.A.? That's that's crazy and not safe." And you're like, "What do you? You just go? I don't know. Yeah. You, like, you figure it out, right? You know, right, right, right." And that's the thing that most countries that are actually touching other countries have <laughs> is that people, you know, learn how to do that. They know how to travel around. Yeah, and and um, you know, Americans can really. Benefit benefit from that because you know we're so isolated well that i think that's i think that's really important to do and, and it's amazing that you got to take your kids to go see that too 
Uh, yeah, and we continue to do it. You know, we continue to travel because that's the thing. Once you get there, once you'll go back again. Yeah. You know, and you'll go and you'll realize that you know it's you can kind of get anywhere in the world in twenty four hours, and you know that's <laughs> a long time, but. It's a plane ride that has a beginning, middle, and end, you know? Well, it's just a day. Yeah, it's a day. Like, I, you know, yeah. Yeah, I got up at 8 yeah. this morning. Uh, yeah. You know, tomorrow by tomorrow morning, I could be somewhere And you'll else. never regret it. You'll never regret traveling. That's for sure. Well, it's funny because the, when, I, when I traveled internationally the most, I was dating a girl who was on the show that you were on now, uh, Jacinda Barrett. Oh, okay. So Jacinda is the one, like, Jacinda's Australian, and she had this, she was very much a traveler, and so... You know, she's like, we have to go to Costa Rica. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what's there. She's like, that's where you got to go. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I, you know, I just grew up very, we traveled around, around America, but my parents were not big international travelers. And so I just didn't really appreciate the value of seeing another culture right. until I went and experienced right. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, that's, that's, you're not alone in that. I mean, that's like, a, it's a pretty common American. I know, but you know, I always like to, I'm sure like most people, I like to feel like, oh, I'm enlightened and I, and, but then I realize I'm not really, I, yeah. you know, like I, I know I have my own little sheltered world, but I really haven't seen right. most of what's out. It's sort of like, what's exciting is that as this whole, this internet and everything, I mean, the way everybody's communicating now, because you literally now, we could be talking live to a bunch of kids in Africa like that. You know, yeah. we just couldn't do that before. So I think as younger generations are doing that, it's going to open up, you know, borders in a lot, Yeah, you know, in a big way. Um, by the way, you you and Jacinda should talk because she also had well she had her pilot's license. No, I know we talked about that. Oh, you did? did, yeah, 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 yeah. She yeah, she used to fly. Um, I don't know if she's flying now, but yeah, I love it. I'm obsessed with it. It's so much fun. What kind of planes do you fly? It's just a little single engine. I fly a Cirrus now. Yeah, and um, out of white planes and just kind of fly a day off. I'm 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 out and flying and oh, I love it. It's really good. Do you go anywhere, or do you just kind of circle around? And <laughs> I stay within 500 feet of the airport <laughs> at all times. Yeah, I mean, you the East get, Coast is great. I mean, go ground. up to Maine and, you know, and have lunch. And I'm the classic, like, go have lunch places, you know, flight pilot. I, like, go to Nantucket for lunch or on Monday. Oh, that's fly so much fun. And go see my friend in York, Pennsylvania, and we'll go for a run and then fly back. And people are like, oh, that's a good environmental thing to do. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Fly a plane to go for running. I know you. That's so funny. You, like you accomplish this huge task, which is you learn how to fly a plane, and then there's still always going to be someone who's like, "Wait, a nice carbon footprint." Oh, yeah, exactly. come on! Yeah, you know, yeah, I put yeah. a lot of work into that. Yeah, come yeah. on. No, it's total. It's just a really good. It's a good hobby because it requires all this concentration, and yet it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, and um, and you know, they let actors do it. <laughs> <laughs> it is the one thing that they'll let you do. Yeah. That was the thing when I did my first solo and he the, the terrifying thing wasn't doing the flight, it was when he got out of the plane before I took off and I'm thinking to myself, wait a second. I'm just pretending I've learned how to fly this. I don't really know how to do it. All right, that's when the acting skills come in. Yeah. Come on, you're a pilot. <laughs> I, I also um I I love running, but I you know, have you I, run any marathons? No, I haven't. I, I've just been. Like, I mean, I really. I don't know if I could call myself a runner, but I run a lot. It's just like treadmill running because I'm usually just in hotels. But and that's a great and thing, and I'm not. And I'm not an advocate of, of marathons. I mean, I've done them, but I wouldn't recommend them. I recommend doing them once, yeah. just for your, just for the self esteem you gain yeah. to know you've done it. Um, but I mean, that kind of distance is not great for you. For sure. Most people, like I'm tall, and you know, after 20 miles, my body's like. Sit the fuck down. <laughs> Stop that. Um, but just like, you know, like today, I just went out and did, you know, four miles in the park, five miles in the park, and you're set for the day, right? You never regret. No. But what's, you what's always a, feel better. What's so funny is making the... Because I, I can run... See, we could have done this running. We could have run the whole time. No, no. Next time, we'll do it. <laughs> but, but what I found is that if anyone's a, an indoor treadmill runner, the transition... You can feel awesome, like, oh, I could run forever on a treadmill. And then you go outside, and you get, like, two blocks, and you're like, fuck. Yeah. Like, it's just, I think there's something about propelling yourself. Like, the treadmill, the moves are going forward, but propelling yourself forward is an extra exertion. Yeah, I mean, I, but I, I started running on treadmills when I started. I mean, I was, like, 37 years old. I smoked. I was like, okay, I'm going to do something I can't do, which is run. And I try, try. And start and it started treadmills. And... Once you get off of treadmills and then start running, then you won't. You'll only go to treadmills when it's 
raining or crappy weather right. or you're stuck in a hotel because once you get running outside and enjoying it it's really fun because it it's just so it's it's a great way to zone out without having to concentrate do you have all. earbuds do you with or do you, no, you just like the world no i just kind of like the world and just kind of you know uh because i always have whatever thought i have before i run it's different after you come back and you have a have a different you know and and you can really it's it's meditative in a way yeah I mean, it, re- it really is well New York has a good I mean L A is you should I'll show you I'll t- so next time whenever you're back I'll take you and we'll oh, run cool. the, the uh, bridal path oh I'd love it's to it's great because it's really nice and you don't have to run on cement and, oh that's so. really cool yeah it's just it's hard it, it's harder to run in Los Angeles because it's not a well planned city right. and so you find yourself like. I mean, it's certainly possible, right? But it's just think it just doesn't connect very well. Right. So the you, first marathon I ran, I did it while I was in L. Where I was on ER, and yeah. I did it, and I would like run at Lake Hollywood, and it would be like mind numbing <laughs> to go run that <laughs> so many times, over like, and over <laughs> and over. But um, <clears throat> it's good here, and it's and, and but that's the thing is you, you know it's really about moderation because you know as people get like. You know, you get too obsessed and think, oh, if I'm going to run, I have to run a marathon. It's right. Like, no, 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 no. Just if go out 20 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes, and then do that three times a week and see how it feels, and then it'll grow naturally. I mean, it is It is kind of, uh, running is sort of a, it can be hard on your body. I mean, yeah. like, it's basically, it's sort of, you know, I, I guess one way to look at it is that, you know, every time your, your feet smack on the ground, you're sort of like, sh- you're punching your organs a little bit. Well, yeah, and we also, it's, you know, you've, I don't know if you read Born to Run or any of those books, but the, the most important thing is to run on the balls of your feet. Yeah. If you don't run on, if you, if you keep landing on your heel, you're gonna, that's where people get injured and hurt oh. because we're not meant to do that. Do so you have we, the Gorilla Feet shoes or do you have running shoes? I have running shoes and I have both, but the, the point of the running shoes, which are the, you know, the, the Vibrams or whatever yeah. they call them, those, is that you have to run the way you're supposed to run, which is to land on the balls of your feet. Like, because yeah. if, if you're barefoot, you're not going to land on your heels. Right. You're just not going to. And if you run in that posture, which is harder at first because you have to use more muscles. Yeah. It's it's better for you ultimately because you it's less shocking and jarring on everything. Oh, and so your, running your shoes like to really, a bit. yeah, really soft heel running shoes have probably caused more damage than than uh, prevented. Oh, wow. Yeah, because you're getting the repetition of beating that's going straight from your heel through the rest of your body as opposed to hitting on the ball of your foot. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have the... Um I have the Nike chip in the in mm-hmm. the shoe, and then it connects to the to the yeah, phone yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. track the runs and stuff. Yeah, no, I've got it too. I've got my a Nike watch, and and I love that. I love going like getting on the maps and seeing where it went. And, oh, that's that's really yeah. nice. Yeah, okay. I, I I do want to. And the other thing about Los Angeles. Well, next year run the. I'm gonna run the marathon one more time, the New York City Marathon. So I'll run it next year. Yeah. So you're on. You have to run it with me. <laughs> what? Yeah, are you dropping a challenge? Africa, we're building. Oh shit! You just made it about charity. You're yeah. not. Oh, that's not fair. That's it's for the children. <laughs> I like. I like. I'm like. That's not fair. Yeah, but these people went to a hospital. But it's not fair <laughs> that you're gonna make me run. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a whole day oh, out of my life. Yeah, I mean, oh, God, sore. No one has it harder than me. <laughs> no, okay, I guess I'll. I guess I'll run for your hospital, <laughs> so people can live. Exactly. Uh, is it a 26 mile marathon? They all are, unfortunately. Uh, and that's a half marathon. <laughs> Shit. So this is like a full marathon. Yeah, but you only need, like, if you have 16 weeks, you can train for it. How do you train? You do four runs a week, basically, and the three of the runs are not very long necessarily. And then on basically on the weekend, you do a longer run. And every weekend, you do, like, a build-up, like, you'll start at six miles the next weekend, seven miles the next weekend, eight miles. And then yeah. you'll go back and then you'll go seven eight nine and then you'll go back eight nine and you eventually get up to a 20 mile weekend yeah and that's all you have to do it, it, you don't have to you don't have to do anything exceptional other than that well i don't long run on the weekend i don't i don't think i run the smartest way because usually i i have so little time that i go shit i have a half hour so i'll go onto a treadmill and run for you know, like twenty five minutes at eight miles an hour. Well, that's great, but that just means you'll have that to draw from, you know, because uh, all you're doing is getting your body used to running that distance. Okay, you don't have to have done. When's, no one does the, that distance. When's the date of this? Uh, when's the? Date? I don't know what that's. It'll be the first Sunday in November a year from now. Oh, okay. 
Oh, I can commit to that because that's a yeah. year away. No, no, commit. You can be on our team. Oh, you shit. Have a spot. Oh, my God. That's amazing. No, because I'll do it. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That'll be fun. We'll do it. We'll, it'll be a good group. Holy we crap. Do, we have a, we have, this year, we have 60 people running on the Shoe for Africa team. Yeah. And we do, uh, you know, I have a big pasta party here the night before. And um, it's great. It's a good It's a good group. Oh, that sounds... But it's also fun. something you can do training-wise individually wherever you are. And you'll... and. We have a program. You follow the program. You get it done. Well, I get rid of like rock hard. My last. Great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Literally passing the torch. It's probably going to be my last, too. I mean, I'll, I'll do... I just think of, like we said, like, yeah, one, I got it. I got it. I'm good. You know, and I then you like, oh, but I could do a little better. I could do, I could do like, five minutes faster. Yeah. Chicago. It's fun. What's awesome is to be with... 40,000 people all going the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, I mean, you really are. Like, the marathon's the easiest part of it. If you can get to the training, the marathon is a piece of cake. Yeah. Honestly. Because running by yourself, doing 16 or 17 miles, and doing that, and not, uh, that's hard. When you're like, Sunday morning, uh, maybe I'll do this on Monday. What are these, like, I always feel like, oh, there's going to be some Argentinian guy who's going to run it in two and a half hours. You have to be prepared the fact that I'll, there'll be quite a few 65-year-old women that will pass you. <laughs> it, it, it's like nothing against 65-year-old women. But, but if you have any kind of ego problems in relation to... Check it at the door. Yeah. Yeah, my friend George Hirsch, who's seventy-two, seventy years old, literally saw him at like mile twenty-one on the last time I ran. He's like, "Hey, Andy, how you doing?" Like, good. He's like, "See you later." <laughs> he was gone. I'm like, "Ah, oh, son of a bitch." Yeah, uh, I didn't even get to talk to you about ER, which it also was. How was was it fun? Did you like it? It was eight years. It was eight yeah. years of it. It it, it was great. It was great. I mean, was, I guess that's a dumb way to ask that question. Well, I mean, but it was, it was, I mean, you know, I all, I, I sound like, like in like howdy doody, but my son was born in January of 94. Yeah. We did the pilot in March. Yeah. We were, started the show in July and then I did eight years straight, right, of that. And in that time had three other kids. Whoa. I had a makeup company and, you know, that's what I did. I mean, we were, it was insane like the amount I had no idea how much work it was until it was all over and you know came to New York moved to New York and was like oh jeez <laughs> who am I and, because it, all that medical dialogue and all that was you know it was challenging it just required a lot and also uh, you don't have kids no when you start having kids you'll I mean it's like it's all you know. It was great that I played a sleep-deprived, stressed-out doctor because that's what you are. So I didn't have to, you know, didn't have to, um, I didn't have to, uh, you know, Starsky and Hutch it it's up. You're you're, you're sleep-deprived and you're constantly having to keep someone alive. I guess right. when you have kids, your your house is like an ER yeah. ward. Yeah. So it's, the truth is, it was like, and I'm realizing again now. I mean. Working's easier than raising kids. Mm-hmm. So yeah, going to work was actually kind of a, a nice break to be yeah. able to be with adults and do that and, and play and pretend and have all that fun. And it made me also kind of not have it be any more than any more precious than it had to be. Yeah. Um, and we had a great group of actors there and a great group, you know, none of the problems on that show happened on the set. It was a really happy, fun place to be. It was, oh, like, cool. it was that funny thing of like, I mean, it's not that Friends was dark, right? Right. But they started the same time we did and it would like, if you visited the sets a different time, it was very different. Like our set was like, fart jokes and people like putting <laughs> shit on stuff and, you know it's just like fucking around because then when the cameras were rolling we are like your child just died and I'm gonna you. so it was like total heaviness so juxtaposition was like nutcase and then you like you go to the friends place and like while they're rehearsing they're like okay this is how you know uh, yeah. they were serious comedians like, right doing serious and then made people laugh in a way was, but also but, everyone well everyone on that show though just sort of Became their own little mini industry separately, right? Know. And in sitcoms, I mean that that's a different world, yeah, because they have a different schedule and everything. You know, we're doing kind of twelve hours every day, right? No, we, we never got that. You know, a read through day, right? So, um, not that it's any harder to what we were doing necessarily as an actor. I don't think because those guys are great comedians, obviously, yeah. and that's really difficult stuff. But. Um, uh, it, 
it was re- it was fun. It was really uh, I have to say for eight years I had a really good time. I always enjoyed going to work. The scripts were always challenging. It was you know it was great that way. So I had no regrets. ER finally ended recently, didn't it? Yeah, after fourteen or fifteen Jesus. years. So they did seventy. Yeah. When I moved to New York too, I had that awful experience of living where we live here on the Upper East Side, where I'd go in the street and people were like. Why'd you leave the show? I'm like, well, I want to be, you know, with my wife and kids and, you know, raise. I don't care about your kids. I want you on the show. Like, good, angry television fans Why in New York. You? I'm like, I don't give a shit about your private life. Entertain me on Thursday nights and don't leave. Like, it is. I know it's such a. And I don't mean to stereotype all New Yorkers, but there is such a great. But, like, we were. I was driving here and the car that I was in was. Uh, I don't know what was happening. Like a construction guy was trying to back a car out or something. And we were just stuck in traffic. And there was just a guy who... There was literally nothing we could do. But he was just standing yelling at our driver, Dickhead! Dickhead! Like, I don't... There's not anywhere we can go. Yeah, Where do you yeah, think yeah. it's not happening? It's great. Absolutely. Everybody's in everybody's business. <laughs> no and it's idea. weirdly... And what's funny about it is that... I guess just because of New York, you go, eh... Yeah. You know, if that happened in LA, you'd be like, "I'm gonna get out." Why the fucking? What is, what, what is your problem? You know, like. <laughs> but here you just go, "Ah, it's yeah. New York." You yeah. know, it's that guy. And the nice thing about it in New York is that you, it's probably a better percentage that people aren't armed. Yes. Like in LA, you're always <laughs> thinking they probably have a gun in there. I'm gonna get you shot. Know, it's like I'm just, gonna. I'm just gonna get shot. Yeah. I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. You don't. You don't keep a place. You don't have a place in LA though, right? You just. You're totally here. No, we're here. We're here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have. We, we we go out there in the summers, and we did keep place down on the beach that we we go to and visit, um, but not in LA proper. Yeah. Well, I just let's, let's talk about your show. Um, it's mid mid season show. Yes? Mid season show zero hour. Zero hour. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of the last. I mean, it's it's the classic like I'll never do a one hour network <laughs> series drama again. What? That was that was something that was like cut to ten years later. This is a good one. <laughs> um, I hadn't really, I'd really not wanted to do a series for any other reason than selfishly could stay and play with my kids and learn to cook and do other things and do little movies and I've been having fun. Um, but then about a year and a half ago, my kids were giving me that look like, get out of the house. <laughs> You're annoying us. Um, and uh, I got offered a, uh, to do Carnage, the play. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I thought, oh, well, and I started wrapping my head around the fact of like, oh, yeah, I could go back. I could do that for four months or six months. And I thought, well, if I could really wrap my head around going back to work for four or six months at a time, why not do it this series? So I have a development deal at Paramount and CBS. And and my partner and I then started actively looking for something to me. To, we've been developing things for other people to do. And we started doing looking for it. And I thought it would be like a half hour, like a, a showtime or a cable. Yeah. Something where I'd do 13 episodes a year. You know, something a little more my mind manageable, um, and we developed something that we thought was great. And the Showtime took it all the way up to the end, but then didn't make it. And I was I was kind of shocked because I really thought that was the one that was going to go and do it. And so then all of a sudden, I was kind of my manager was like, "Well, let's read other things." So I started reading other things, and Lorenzo de Bonaventura, who I worked with at Warner Brothers years ago, and they they sent me this script, and my manager was like, "You might like this." And it's totally got me because it's just like something I haven't seen on television before. I've seen kind of movie versions of it or read books like it because it's kind of that Da Vinci style thriller. It's like a conspiracy thriller and it's modern. And when I'm reading it, I'm like, A, I don't have to play a doctor. B, I don't have to play a policeman. C, I don't have to play a lawyer. Like, that's a trifecta. Like, that's, you know, it's it's going to be normal dialogue. Um and, uh, you know, once again, it's as I get called in for these things, it's, you know, you're every man because that's my fate, which is sure. people are like, you remind me of my cousin. Right. You know? So that's. Oh, I get that I, too. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're, <laughs> you're my like, friend Craig. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're of that ilk. We're like normal. White guys. Right? Yeah, white guys. <laughs> white guys. A bit nerdy. A bit, a bit nerdy. We're yeah, ner- nerdy yeah, white guys. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, we're the friend. Right, exactly. We're the friend. Yeah. Um, they want to sleep with the other one, but they'll marry you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> later in life, later, later. after they've been broken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then you'll come and help clean up the mess, rehabilitate them, and they can. Then they'll leave you again. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll take it. Yeah. Um, so uh, 
I just, I said, you know, and then I did my first way of getting out of things by saying, I love this script, but, you know, if it goes to series, we have to do it in New York because I'm not going to move. And they were like, yes. So I went, okay. <laughs> um, actually, it did make me happy because I, uh, I liked it. And I, then talking to the writer, the writer is out of his mind. It's Paul Schering who created uh, Prison Break. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Mr you know knows a lot about everything and has you know is really into multiple layers of plot and you yeah. know it's much smarter than I'll ever be and I, I I can't figure it out half the time but um you know it's just a one it's it's a great setup for um you know I'm married to Jacinda Barrett and mm-hmm. she you know the in the pilot she gets she gets kidnapped and we're off to the races. Like, why are you after my wife? And this conspiracy thing starts unfolding. That just we're shooting episode six now, and we just you know every time we get a new script, we're like, no way, really. <laughs> so you know, I mean, whereas some shows because we're going to be able to tell this whole sh- this whole story in thirteen episodes, we're not they're not having to think like, oh oh, we have one gag which our show's based oh, right. on and we have to make this last for five years right like no this we're gonna make this story last for 13 episodes so they're really like every episode major things are happening and that's the most fun of it because I feel like well we should have a good shot doing this because if we do it halfway well as good as the script then I know it'll at least be entertaining yeah and then you know it's just up to the gods of the networks whether they put it in the right place or the people were ready for it or you know they give it a chance yeah I don't know but I mean I have a feeling like if something's good and it's it's the right time people you know it'll it'll last or it'll go but yeah but it's, I don't know you have a good attitude about everything because it's like ah you know if it doesn't work out I get to be with my family or we'll travel more yeah, I'm a little like, lucky that way it's, it's pretty neat like, yeah. it's, it's pretty it, it's being able to come into this business without that sense of desperation of like, I hope this is the thing. I really need this to be the thing. Like, that's yeah. a fucking horrible place but to be. But it's also, that's, but that's the trick of what we have to do. And you have to do it more as a comedian than actors because you don't have the character to hide behind. So when you're <laughs> up there, you're, the, the, your ability to make it look easy is what is your greatest talent. And that's what people don't understand. And they don't need to understand that. Like, you know, when I watch the Olympics, I don't really want to go to every training session with that, <laughs> with that, you know, a gymnast. But when I watch them, it looks effortless. And yeah. I think, I can do that. Sure. Give me a balance beam. I'm there. I yeah. can do it. You know, and that's what we're supposed to do. So, you know, to, to eliminate desperation is really great because it takes that weight off of everybody. I mean, that's the best advice you can ever give an actor is like, go... Go get a job by acting like you don't want it. Because yeah. all they want is for them to go, oh, fuck, we don't have to worry about this. <laughs> right. He's not worried about it. Like, he can do it. It's not a problem for them. Well, I guess maybe, you know, <laughs> part of it is because you think, you know, when you really want to do something, you go, oh, that this is the only thing there is in the world. And then it sort of goes back to like, well, if you travel and you see the world and you kind of see what else is out there, you might go... Oh yeah, you know, of course it would be nice to have this career, but I'm not going to fucking kill myself if I don't get it because it's you know right. There also, are bigger things. And when you're around it, and you you know, and I was lucky when I started out. I worked with a lot of older actors, and the ones that had long careers, the ones who just genuinely loved what they did, yeah, and loved their life, and they you know it wasn't the drama of of every other part of the business where people are flipping out about whether or not. Their publicist did the right thing, or their you know manager did the right thing, and there's so much fear that people act from, as opposed to just like the joy of it. Like, yeah. hello, <laughs> we live in America, and we can pretend for a living. Like, you know, how bad could it be? Yeah. Well, we're, I think we're almost at the end of our hour. Oh, we're almost we're exactly at an hour. Really? This just flew by, <laughs> and and I still can't. <laughs> Do you remember your speech from the end of Revenge of the Nerds at all? Do you remember any of it? Do you remember um, the... What did he say? He said... Um, it's right after the tri-lamps come in no, and he yeah, hands you yeah. the microphone. He gets thrown into the water. He gets thrown into the water yeah, and yeah, comes yeah, out. Yeah. He's got to pick up the, pick up the glasses. <laughs> it's, it's, I can't remember. I, I can't remember with respect. I just remember it's like... I just remember that tonight those bastards, they trashed our house. Yeah, they trashed our house. Why? Because we're smart. Because we're smart. Because we're... Because we look different. And then I think it's, is it, and then you say, I'm a nerd. I'm a nerd. 
I'm a nerd, yeah, and I'm proud. Yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. I'm pretty proud of it. And then Carradine comes over. Yeah. I'm a nerd, too. I'm a nerd, too. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who's felt picked out like that, and then fucking Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We are the, the champions. Like, oh. It's so goofy and so dated. It's great. <laughs> it's really... But the message is still there. Always, yeah. As it was in Euripides. <laughs> Sophocles. Uh... Revenge of the Nerds could have been like a Greek There's comedy. Only... <laughs> it really could have tragedy. been. Tragedy. Comedy tragedy. Uh, but, uh, well, thanks for having me over to your house. And we, I would, yeah, we're going to fucking run it up. Okay. Well, then that's it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I come back to New York, I feel like, every week or every other week. Well, so. I'm here all the time. And I generally... Run! I'll, I'll run in the mornings just because as the day as the week goes on, it's always like a you know my calls get later and later. What about in the winter? Can you run in the winter? Yeah, yeah, it's great in the winter. It's great. I run. You can run all year round. What? The snow. This is crazy information. Yeah. No, it's great. Okay, we'll it's do even it. Better. All right. Thanks, Andy. It's nice to see you. You too. Enjoy your burrito, everybody. Nerds. Nerds. Now leaving nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. This episode of the Nerdist Podcast is brought to you by Stamps.com. Go to Stamps.com, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Nerdist for a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and $55 of free postage. That's Stamps.com. Enter the promo code Nerdist. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.